0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Blackhawks on Tap for Feathers. I don't know what we're running under, actually, tonight. so. But nonetheless, we are the on-tap Sportsnet guys over here uh, covering Blackhawks, uh, whether that's Four Feathers podcast, which is probably where you've heard our voices before. I am your co-host for the evening, Ron Luce. I am joined tonight by Patrick Comiskey. Uh, but quickly, before we talk to Pat here in a second... You can also find us, as a reminder, you can also find all of our voices, that includes Johnny and Tony as well, as well as Patrick Bodway, over at Blackhawks On Tap as well. And you can find all of that at www.ontapsportsnet.com. I'm going to ask my buddy over here, Patrick Comiskey, how he's doing because he's scuffling through his table over here. Uh, I don't know what he's looking for. He's telling me to keep talking, so I will keep talking (laughs) for the night. Uh, well, but we'll start prefacing this episode a little bit here because uh, for anybody that listened to Tuesday's episode, you would know that uh, we are currently in a life without hockey, and it is weird. Uh, I know I personally do not like it. I, I think all the Four Feathers on Tap guys will agree. It, it's weird. Uh, no sports sucks. Um, I'm not going to you know beat a dead horse too much here um, just because I know Johnny and Tony spoke about it. On Tuesday's episode, but we are here to discuss Game 4 of the Western Conference quarterfinals from 2010, Uh, heading into this game that was aired tonight on NBC Sports Chicago, for those that were able to watch it, sorry Patrick, Um, (laughs) the Chicago Blackhawks were down in the series 2-1 to to the Nashville Predators, um, with one game to go in Nashville before coming home for Game 5, Which, you know, if Nashville were to win game four would be a massive game for the Blackhawks. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into this one. Uh, It was a damn good game. Um, And we still haven't gotten to talk to him yet because I think he's finally done fiddling around. But Mr. Patrick Kaminsky, how you doing, my guy?
1: Yeah, I'm doing real well. You know what? I had I had a decent amount of adult beverages tonight. Just to prime myself for this one, because I feel like if you're going to talk about a Hawks Stanley Cup team, you should be pretty well lubricated because this is a good old time to talk about it. So why don't you have a couple beers? So. um You know, we're amongst our little quarantine shit we were talking about before we got on the mic here. Like, we're both kind of losing our minds. Like, well, what do you do? Like, you're just trapped at home. You got the family. You know, maybe you got a couple couple friends, this and that. There isn't a whole lot to do. So I decided, well, hey, I got a lot of beer in that fridge, so I'm going to put a dent in it. And I put a dent in it tonight. So in preparation for this, I thought I was fully prepared. We jumped on. We did, like, our pre-talk beforehand i realized i forgot to plug my microphone in and so i was (laughs) frantically trying to get my microphone plugged in
0: um
1: to talk to you just now on this but you know i got it and we're here we made it through this is this see this is what i think is almost symbolic of that 2010 hawks team was that they just and it's absolutely symbolic of this series and how they got started they got it started rolling slowly is because this is a party team man they knew how to drink they knew how to party and were they always clicking 100 percent? no but when it mattered most they got it going and they they kind of just willed themselves to the cup and, and once they got that cup they just started partying hard like so that's what i love about this team more than anything and it's so weird that it was 10 years ago. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago. But just watching this team again tonight just gave me so much good energy that, like, I feel like NBC Sports Chicago, shout out to them. They did, They just did such a good job with um, bringing all this back up that just lets us feel some things because we don't get to watch sports now. And this is the perfect sports to watch. I don't know how you feel, but, dude, this is – I feel like this is just what Hawks fans needed
0: yeah, I'll tell you what, too, you know, obviously before we uh, jump into recapping this game, I, I agree with you, man. It's the the amount of nostalgia, right, that you get from watching that 2010 team because, you know, obviously the 2013 team was great. The short, you know, the strike-shortened season, you know, they, they you know, set records that year for just how good they were, obviously, winning the Cup there. 15 was special in its own way because they were total underdogs going into that playoff series you know, they kind of just willed their way to victory, really, with four defensemen. You know, but as a Blackhawks fan, especially as a younger Blackhawks fan, I admittedly didn't start getting into hockey um, until right around the time that Papa Wirtz died. Um, you know, my my father and my older brother were huge Blackhawks fans, so they had always been, you know, keeping an eye on hockey and, and paying attention to hockey for a long time, but. You know, I really didn't get into the sport a ton until you know that two thousand six, two thousand seven season, pretty much right when they came out of the uh, the full lockout ending year. Um, you know, obviously with you know the the hope on the horizon with Kane and Taves and you know some of these young guys. And so, as that young Hawks fan, you know, this you I remember watching these games. This was at a time when this team had not won a Stanley Cup since nineteen sixty one. So these were like, oh, you know, let me get there. Let's, you know, let's let them win this. I want them to win this so bad. This would be amazing. So, you know, getting to go back and watch that has been a lot of fun. I was actually just telling my dad after watching game two, which uh, if you haven't listened to the episode yet, please do go listen to the latest Four Feathers slash Blackhawks on Tap. Tony and Johnny did that one from Tuesday night. Um, But I, I was watching game two and I totally forgot that Their top power play unit once upon a time was Sharp, Taves, Kane with Boland and Bufflin on the point. Like, you know, it's just you forget little things like that. And it's so much fun to bring that back and watch. And I agree with you. Kudos to NBC Sports Chicago. Um, They're also appeasing to the Bulls fans out there as they're rerunning the 1996 championship run. Um, So a little bit of a shout out. uh, Bulls on tap. Uh, It sounds like they are going to do something very similar to what we're doing over here and get that cooking um, and, and, and recap and talk about those games as well. But Patrick, let's let's dive into this, man. So early on, first period, uh, you know, this is a team that's down their backs against the wall, down two to one to the Nashville Predators. Um, you know, like you said, this is a team that knew how to party. This is a team that was really, really damn good all year. Uh they were a two-seed going into the playoffs. Uh the only team that was better than them in the Western Conference were the San Jose Sharks that year. Um, and not by much either. I believe it was only by about two points. So, you know, this was a Damn good Hawks team. And the big key in this game was you gotta at least take it back home being 2 2. Now that we're here in the future, we obviously know you know Joe Quenville coach teams in the playoffs for games five through seven were absolutely dominant. So that was the key. You bring it back home, especially in this case for game five, two two, anything can happen in the series. But at the ten fifty-seven mark on the power play. Patrick Kane uh, gets a couple jabs at a puck, you know, can't get it past, you know, uh, Pecorine. Keeps trying, keeps trying, keeps trying. Finally, the puck kind of bounces up in the air, lands on the other side of Rene, and Patrick Sharp's able to bang it home uh, for his first of the playoffs. Um, And and the first of this game assists from Kane and Taves. So, you know, bringing it back a little bit, obviously, very different than the Hawks nowadays, right, on the power play. Nowadays, they, they have that, you know, that 1-3-1 one, one structure and, you know, really when there is a scrum in front of the net, there's not a ton of bodies. This time around, there were, like, between both teams, probably, what, six, seven bodies right in the blue paint? I mean, it, it's it feels like such a different time. Am I right?
1: Yeah, no, It you watch these games and it's like you almost wonder, like, what the hell am I watching right now? Like, this is great Blackhawks hockey. You know, they're dominant. And, you know, it's one of these things with all these Hawks teams that you win, whether or that you watch, whether it's 2010, 2013, 2015. It was that, you know, when you watch these games, I've always said that playoff hockey is unlike any other sport where the entire game when you're watching, you just you almost feel somewhat uneasy, like your palms sweat really heavily, you it's almost hard to just sit down and watch a game. You almost have to stand in front of the TV and watch it it's just because you're so uncomfortable because there's so much on the line at such high stakes. And you know, any second can completely change a game drastically and you never feel comfortable. However, you know those years 2010 2013 2015 even 2014 when they lost to LA you just always felt somewhat weirdly comfortable with this team where you always believed in them and you knew that no matter how bad it got they were gonna they 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 would just find a way they always found a way and that was the thing with 2010 is that like this first round they didn't come out that hot you know Nashville kind of punched them in the mouth and you know Nashville won game 1 they, the Hawks bounce back they won game two and then Nashville wins game three and it's like what what the hell's going on the Hawks were like almost the president's trophy winner as you mentioned earlier they were just a couple points behind San Jose and it's like what is going on like you know what's happening you, they were just in the Western Conference final the year before in 2009 and you know but it was like they came out in game four and nice set the tone and You know, they kind of dominated this game. Niemi was great. All this shit, and it was just like, this was the Hawks. Like, this was almost the game where you came to know the Hawks as they became. Like, when their backs were against the wall, or when they had to win, or like you mentioned earlier, you know, towards the tail end of series, they were just dominant. They controlled what went on in these games. So I feel like this game was almost kind of where, like, the Hawks that we became to know them were born because they came... When it mattered most, they showed up. And I think that's a direct... That is a direct sign of like the influence that Joel Quenville had on this team. Because he always when it mattered most, he always had them ready to go. And you can talk about Jonathan Taze. There was one thing I noticed about this game heavily. It was that Jonathan Taze was all over the goddamn ice on this one. And when I was watching this, I was like, holy shit... You can tell almost that it was 10 years ago because Jonathan Taze looked like the fastest player on the goddamn ice, man. He was flying everywhere. He was in the middle of every play. And you almost forget that because we, you know, we don't get that kind of game out of Jonathan Taze now that he's 32 years old. We just don't. And that's fair. You know, he's older now. (coughs) It's hard to hang around with some of these young guns in the league. But back in his heyday, man, he was one. He was truly one of the best players in the NHL. And you you just watched this game and it was like, holy shit, was Jonathan Tays dominant? And that
0: that was for me that was my number one takeaway from this game. Yeah, 100%. I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I even thought that too watching like Patrick Sharp. There was one play in particular I recall. Uh, I believe it was in like the very late portion of the second period, which we're gonna get to here in a minute. But um, where he just outskates everybody to get to a loose puck, and I'm like. I forgot just how fast that team was. They were unbelievably fast. Every line, every pairing, every guy on that team was incredibly quick. And I I think before we keep moving on into the second period here, I think it's worth noting some of the kind of notable news that was going on around this time in this game. So uh, Brian Bickle played in this game it was his first career playoff game he actually did tally a point we're gonna get there here in a second uh Burrish ended up coming in for eager so eager sat this game he did not play um most notably uh Brian Campbell returned from injury uh he was out from mid-March after being hit from behind by um Alexander Ovechkin originally was expected to be out till mid-May but he came back here in late April uh, for this game, so that's a huge one uh, right there, you know. And he was making some noise all over the place uh, during the game. Didn't play a ton of minutes, and, and we're going to talk about that once we get through the scoring recap about some of the minutes here that these guys played. But uh, nice having obviously Brian Campbell back, as he was the the big money defenseman on this team at the time. Yeah, you know, we and we've uh, we've touched on some of the you know the the creating the havoc in front of the net and doing good things in front of the net. And I think that's a good transition here because in the second period, um, you know, the Hawks are able to continue to get things going. Uh, That top line for the evening, uh, you know, one of the storylines too, for those that were able to watch the game, you hear Eddie Olchek and Pat Foley discuss heavily was the Hawks wanted to control the front of the net against the Predators. It's something they didn't do well in the first three games. Makes a ton of sense why Brian Bickle was playing Uh, you know, with Jonathan Taves and Marion Hosa on that top line. Big body, could get in front of the net, and you saw it on the first goal. They weren't afraid to go to the front of the net and create havoc, and they did. Second period at the 12.55 mark, they go to the front of the net again. Marion Hosa coming up the right wing boards. He's able to get a puck, uh, you know, a sliding block by the defenseman. Uh, He's able to get the puck back miraculously when he goes to pass it. Uh, It was kind of like a little bank shot off the defenseman. And he's able to put it toward the net. Jonathan Taves uh, ultimately tips it home behind Rene. Again, creating havoc right there in front of the net uh, for Taves' first. Uh, Mary Hossa getting a big assist. And Brian Bickle, as we mentioned, he gets a secondary assist. His first career playoff point in his first career playoff game. Uh, so that was an incredible one. And then, Patrick, before we jump over to you, Once again, at the 16-17 mark of the second period, uh, a very sharp-dressed man named Patrick Sharp scored an absolute beauty of a goal, just a wicked wrister from the slot. Uh, He rips it home for his second goal of the game. Uh, Assists came from Jalmerson and Sopel, two guys that I do want to talk about once we hear from you about the scoring here in the second period, you know, but... What do you think about this team coming out in that second period and just absolutely taking it to the Predators, getting two big goals? Yeah, I mean, that was just – that's
1: the Hawks that you miss, man. It was – everyone used to always talk about how the Hawks could just – they had the ability to flip the switch. And I've never really, truly in sports enjoyed that – or like that notion that a team can just flip a switch because I feel like that opens up a lot of danger like you could mm, that's that's not the way you want to play play the game because you you know you might find yourself too deep in well that was true with the hawks the hawks could flip a switch man they were you know there were at stretches this 2010 team the 2013 team there was just stretches with this team they were always going to be the most talented team on the ice now it was going to come down to who was showing up and no matter what it was, the Hawks could flip that switch. And that was what you seen in the second period, man, they came at them. And it's one of those things too, where you, you just kind of, where we said current day, you almost forget how good some of these guys were. Like Patrick Sharp was, you know, he was one of the best players in hockey at that point. You know, he's phenomenal. He's, he was just, and you seen him on that, you know, almost, you know, where he scores that goal. It was just like, Man, you forget how fast he was. You forget just the type of elite shot he had in this league, and it was, you know, you, you it's it's hard not to miss it at this point because the Hawks could the Hawks could use a little uh, 2010 Patrick Sharp on their team right now. Like 2010 Patrick Sharp is what you dream Alex Teterinket could one day even just hope be to be. You know, it, it's just that team they had it all, man. Because you know, I love that you mentioned the um Sopel and Jalmerson thing. Oh, oh boy, are we going to get to that because we can talk about how this Hawks team could score, boy could they defend too. Like this the, the 2010 team could just do a little bit of everything and they did it so well. But just getting back to, you know, the Tays goal and the Sharp goal and you know, that was that that's one of the big things too that, you know, we should talk about in this game was that you look at the score sheet, you just watch the game, was that the big guns showed up. And you wonder sometimes, some of these teams wonder why they have these talented rosters and, you know, they have a successful regular season. Look at Tampa Bay last year. Um, You know, they won the President's Trophy. Um, They set records for regular season points, but they get swept by Columbus. Why is that? Why did you, what happened? Well, you know, when you get in the playoffs, your big guns have to show up. And one thing that the Hawks always had was that, when they were in the playoffs, their big guns always showed up. Mm-hmm. Now you can be the best team in the world if your top guy. You, when you get to the playoffs, your top guys have to drive you. Okay, now you have to have the depth to win a cup, but it's your your top guys have to drive the bus. And that was one thing the Hawks always did. Patrick Kane was born to play in big games. Jonathan Tays was born to lead a team. And then you you look at guys like Duncan Keith. I mean, Duncan Keith is just remarkable. I mean, I don't I, you can't say a whole lot more about him. He just he was the anchor of that team all throughout it. And then you look at Patrick Sharp. You, you just look at the depth of this team. It's like you can't even stop and have a moment to talk about just how deep this fucking team was and how they they had everything. Like you mentioned five guys and then you remember holy shit, they still had Patrick Sharp, they had Marion Hosa. they had all these guys. And it was just So you go back to it and it's like your big guys, your big guys have to lead you to the promised land. And that's what happened in this game. You see the goal by Taze. You see the two goals by Sharp. It was like every now and again, you have to have games where the big
0: guns lead you. And that was what happened in this one with, you know, Taze and Sharp. Yeah, absolutely. And you said it perfectly. Uh, You know, Patrick Sharp a guy that this team you know, currently could use in 82 games in that season. He had 66 points, 25 goals, um, had himself a nice year. And you, you talk about the depth of that 2010 team, right? And how's that something nowadays, you know, this Hawks team lacks is that scoring depth. The Hawks had, and I, I got to do some quick math here on the fly. Eight guys with over 17, 17 or more goals that season. Eight guys with all but two of those guys that I just mentioned being 20 or more I mean that's impressive that is hard to do and you know Dustin Bufflin had 17 Andrew Ladd had 17 Troy Brower had 22 Christopher Stieg a, a very young Christopher Stieg I believe that was his rookie season had 20 24 for Marion Hossa and only 57 games for him because of that injury that kept him out early in the season Uh, You know, Patrick Sharp with 25, Taves with 25, and then Kane with 30. I mean, just the amount of, you know, of depth on that team was incredible. And you mentioned the big guns showing up in the playoffs. I'll tell you right now, you know, your leading point getters in that playoffs, uh, not to jump too far ahead, are Taves, Kane, and Sharp. So like you said, your big guns showing up, uh, you know, delivering at the right time and, and taking you to the promised land. And fortunately, ladies and gentlemen, from a scoring perspective, that's all the Hawks needed in this one. Uh, three goals, you know, ultimately a 3 nothing victory. Uh, back-to-back playoff wins, back-to-back playoff shutouts for Antti Nieme, a guy that I fell in love with during that 2010 season, and that brings back all the nostalgia for me. Uh, but let's dive into some a little more analysis about this game because, uh, as you mentioned, You know, that sopel Jalmerson pairing in that game was absolutely spectacular. Brent Sopel might have played one of his best games of the entire playoffs for him. Um, You know, what's really interesting are your top three ice time leaders in this game. Duncan Keats, number one, 26 minutes. No surprise there. That's still consistent to nowadays. That has not changed 10 years later. But it's the guys that are two and three, I think that makes it more interesting because it's not Brent Seabrook. It's not Brian Campbell. Seabrook. Played just over 19 minutes. Campbell only played 14 minutes on defense in this game. And to add to that, Dustin Bufflin only played just under 10 minutes defensively in this game. It was really led by Nick Jalmerson and Brent Sopel. Jalmerson playing over 25 minutes and Sopel playing over 24 minutes. They had three defensemen play over 24 minutes in this game. Talk to me, Patrick, about that that Jalmerson-Sopel pairing in this game.
1: You want to talk about a defensive pairing that could probably just absolutely piss off another team? Well, that would be that would be Nicholas Jalmerson and Brent Sopel. Like, if you're anti Niemi, like a defensive pairing that you dream of is Nicholas Jalmerson and Brent Sopel, because you don't even have to play goalie because most of those shots that are uh, being screwed up by the uh, Nashville Predators aren't even going to make their way through like Nicholas or uh, Brent Sopel would block a puck with his face. A- any part of his body. If, if there's a chance that Brent Sopel is going to get a piece of it, he's going to grab it. And the same could be said about Nicholas Jalmerson. You put these two on the same defensive pairing. Like the other team doesn't stand a chance in hell. You know, you dream of having guys like that and the Hawks had two of them and you put them on the same pairing, and it's, it's all, it's almost a little bit unfair. When you think about the Hawks nowadays; it's like God, we were, we were just so excited for the Hawks to get one defensive-minded defenseman in Calvin DeHaan. Mm-hmm. And then you look back at the 2010 team, and it was like, holy shit, they had Duncan Keith in his prime, Norris Trophy winner that season. Brent Seabrook, one you know, in his prime, Brent Sopel. Ready to win a Stanley Cup. Nick Jalmerson, same thing, locked in. It was like you had you had these four guys, and it was like, how did anyone ever score on this team? And it, it's remarkable. And it's like, and you know, you talk about Jalmerson and Sopels, like that wasn't even their top pair. Like the, that that is an absolute shutdown defensive pair. And hey, that's the Hawks' second pair that year. So it. it it's just it's another one of those things that when you just continue to dive into this 2010 team, I was like, holy shit, were they special? And, you know, you just forget about it every now and again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something that I noticed watching the game, you know, obviously that top pairing, like you mentioned, Keith and Seabrook, it just that's like peanut butter and jelly. That's like, you know, cookies and milk. I mean, that just peanut butter to, as Joel Quinville. absolutely it just that is that was that pairing for eternity that blackhawks fans are going to talk about i know i'm going to tell my kids about Dunkie keith and brent seabrook pairing back in their heyday because that pairing during those cup runs was just a thing of beauty you know but like you said just that defensive depth you know to start that game Yo, Jalmerson was paired with Brian Campbell, a in his prime Brian Campbell, who was a 60-plus point defenseman Brian Campbell. And then your third pairing in that game was, oh, a little boy named Dustin Bufflin playing with Brent Sopel. And then they obviously switched the pairings around a little bit, played more of Campbell – or excuse me, of Jalmerson, Sopel, less of Campbell, uh, Bufflin. But holy hell, what a top six. Are you kidding me? I uh, – I would I would uh, I would I would do things that I'm not gonna say on this podcast to have that type of defense right now on this current Blackhawks team and like you mentioned we were all pumped when Calvin dehan was traded for uh a guy that we would love him to be a friend of the show one day shout out Calvin dehan we love you buddy hope you hope you can come on with us someday but you know having that type of guy on the team and finally getting one and then obviously injuries cut that short this year which was an absolute travesty um you know I'm gonna have to break my jersey out one of these days and wear it just for the nostalgia but you know they had sick you know they had four guys on that team that could be shut down defenders you know top pairing quality shut down defenders too, not just shut down defenders and then two of arguably the best offensive defensemen of the last decade Brian Campbell had an incredible career as an offensive defenseman and truthfully could do everything. You know, and Dustin Bufflin obviously developed in what he developed in, you know, as a winger in Chicago, and then, you know, once he left Chicago, transitioned back to the back end and became one of the better offensive defensemen in the league. So it's just it's it's truly mind-boggling. I, I look I look at this list. I'm just gonna read these names off to you real quick. Bickle, Boland, Brower, Burrish, Bufflin, Campbell, Jalmerson, Hosa, Kane, Keith, Kopetsky, Ladd, Madden, Seabrook, Sharp, Sopel, Taves versus Stieg. Oh my god, I forget how freaking deep this team was, man. It just, it brings warmth to my heart getting to watch these guys again. I'll say it again, you said it before, kudos to NBC Sports Chicago for doing this. Because it just, it just brings a warm and fuzzy feeling to Blackhawks fans everywhere that... Yeah, we're without hockey right now but thank you for reshowing us these glory days and how much fun these teams especially this 20 team 10 team were just to watch and enjoy. Yeah, and one thing I want to do right now
1: when we talk about the depth of this team I was like holy shit how do you how do you get that one time? I
0: want to crack him to Dale Town. Crack him to Dale Talon. He he built a lot of that team and while you're taking a nice quick swig I'll even I'll even talk through it. Uh, if I remember correctly, Davey Bolin was a draft pick of Dale Talon. Dustin Bufflin was a draft pick of Dale Talon. Campbell was a Talon signing. Jolmerson was a pick. Um, a lot of people, you know, Hosta signed after Talon obviously left, but uh, there was a big Scotty Bowman connection there that got Hosta and Kopetsky, so I won't even give that one to Stan. But, you know, Andrew Ladd acquisition, Brent Seabrook, Duncan Keith, Jonathan Taves, Um, Christopher Stieg, I believe was a talent trade at the time. They traded for him from Boston and he played, I believe a season or two in the minors before coming up to the big league, you know, just so much of that team was built by Dale Talon and he did an incredible job. And, you know, for anybody that gets a chance, I'm going to go ahead and plug, um, Mark Lazarus's book, uh, Blackhawks. If these walls could talk, it's a great book, read it, especially now without hockey. You'll love it. I've read it. I'll probably reread it to be honest with you. But there is a story in there that when there's a story in there when this 2010 team ultimately does what it does and uh, you know we don't want to f- jump too far ahead of ourselves we want to live in the moment here that they called Dale Talon and celebrated with Dale Talon because this was Dale Talon's team. Yep. And they made sure that he came out and drank with them. Absolutely. They made sure he got the recognition he deserved because he he was the architect of that 2010 team. And you you see a lot more similarities from the 13 to 15 teams than you do from the 10 to 13 team. And, and a lot yep. of that was because that was still Talon's team and then obviously because of the cap era and just the nature of the beast when you win a Stanley Cup you end up having to ship pieces off and guys like Brian Campbell, Dustin Bufflin, uh, you know, Kopetsky. Fucking everyone. Exactly. Most yep. of Got these it. guys, yeah. you know, over a two-year span were ultimately gone then by the time this 13 team came around. Really the only guys that were still there when this 13 team came around were Bolin, Bickle, you know, and then the core. Emerson, right. Hosa, Kane, Keith, you know, Seabrook, Sharp, Taves. You know, everybody right. else was gone by that point. Um, which is, and even, you know, even your, your cup winning goaltender, Antti Niemi was gone by that point. Obviously it was, it was Corey Crawford then by that time in net. So, you know, it's ju- It was a drastically different. Yeah, and team. even
1: Corey Crawford was a
0: fucking Dale Talon draft pick. Yep. He was drafted, um, the exact same year as, oh boy, I believe was... it was early. Yeah. It, it was, was the earlier same year... than anyone would imagine. It was the same year as Brent Seabrook. I was trying to remember yeah. which of the core de- defensemen, because, Duncan Keith was a 2002, uh, 2002 second-round pick, if I remember correctly. And then in that 2003 draft, their first and second-round picks, respectively, were Brent Seabrook and Corey Crawford.
1: Yeah, not not a not a bad string of picks there.
0: Yeah, not too shabby. Uh, and then ultimately, obviously, Keith and Seabrook debuted together then after that uh, strike season um, in 2005. That's when they debuted. So they debuted together, which is hence why 2-7 and seven will forever live on in history of the Blackhawks as— Arguably the greatest well, pairing yeah. this team's ever seen. They're gonna
1: um, float in the rafters one day, Ron.
0: They should. I, 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 see. I've had I've had arguments with people about this. I say there's, in my honest opinion, there are probably potentially six numbers that could be in the rafters someday from these these teams. You know, 88 and 19, well, that, are no 88 and nineteen are no doubt. are no doubters. Yep. Number two, no doubter. Marion Hosa, eighty one, no doubter, in my opinion. If if that doesn't happen, I I I'll But Brent Seabrook, number seven, should absolutely be in the rafters. And if you want to co retire him with Chelios, I think that's and totally okay. Seven should never be worn again after Brent Seabrook. Because no,
1: I, and honestly, it should have it should have never even made its way to Brent Seabrook. Chris Chelios re- deserves to have his number retired by this franchise, but you know you have the unique opportunity to just like you did with Pierre Pilat and uh, Keith Magnuson to you know, retire it conjunctively. But like it should have never made its way past Chelios. Like look what Chelios did for this franchise. You know it's it's almost remarkable that it made its way to Seabrook. But now you have that unique. Re- That's why I think it's even more of a a home run that C-Rick will get his number retired cuz you're going to you're going to join it up with Chelios anyways but I'll let you finish
0: no and I, just the last number I was going to argue and and this one of maybe the group is the biggest quote unquote stretch i would argue 50. for number 50
1: yeah i would too i agree
0: i think i think every you know i had somebody yell he'll never get the respect he deserves i agree and and, and i had somebody yelling at me one not yelling at me we had a good conversation it was a good debate it was a good debate it really was debated with me on twitter when i said number 50 should be in the rafters someday and he goes why and i'm like they're like he they're like he's not he's nowhere near what glenn hall and tony esposito were in terms of numbers and they have their numbers in, in the rafters for that reason and i go he's got two rings though I said, well yeah he has two not only does he have two Stanley Cups but if you look at the statistics and he should he
1: should he should have a Conn smite too
0: Absolutely you know but w- but when you look at the statistics of his of the Blackhawks over you know the the t- franchises you know uh, quickly approaching 100 years here in in 2026 the, there's three names in the goaltending category that are an echelon of their own statistically glenn hall numbers in the rafters tony esposito numbers in the rafters and it's Corey crawford the numbers don't deny it sure is he still behind some of those guys in terms of numbers yeah because he didn't play as many years as those guys tony o was here for you know what 12 years as a starting goaltender i think glenn hall was a similar span you know Corey crawford if you really think about it if he's still with this team next season at the start of 2021 bringing it back to present day That will be, I believe, his 10th season as the starting goaltender. So you figure— he started in 11. Right. You figure what he's done in nine seasons puts him in the same conversation as Esposito and Hall. Get the hell out of here if you don't think 50 should be in the draft or something.
1: And and I'll even—now not to get too far off base of what we're doing on this episode, but I'll even argue that what he has done these last couple years while the the Hawks have been missing the playoffs is more of a reason— I shouldn't say that's more of a reason, but it, it, it will prove to you that he should have his number retired because he has been so phenomenal. Like, you want to, the Hawks would be one of the worst teams in the league going back these last couple of years if it wasn't for Corey Crawford. Like, he has bailed them out beyond belief because their defense has been so goddamn bad. Like, put some respect on number 50. That, that number deserves... Uh, like, to me... I understand I understand how it's a little confrontational with some people, and it is a conversation point. Like, does it deserve? For me, it, it's 100% gung-ho. You put it in the rafters. It's not even, in my mind, it's not an argument.
0: It goes up there no matter what. Yeah, and I think the beauty of it, too, is it's, it's not a number that was worn by other really great players in history that are, like, like on no the borderline. No one's worn it. Right. It's not like number 28, retired 28 for Larmer, you know, it's not one of those type of Which numbers. Which deserves right? an argument. Yes, I agree. It's not one of those type of numbers. There's like nobody else in this franchise. I don't even think that's worn 50 for an extended period of time. So you're never going to have another guy like Corey Crawford. You're never going to have a number 50. Just make it happen. But while number 50 was playing down in Rockford, you know, we got to talk about a Blackhawks victory tonight over the Nashville Predators. 3 nothing. Uh, Going back to April 22nd of 2010, uh, which was Game 4 of the Western Conference quarterfinals. So we want to get you a quick preview uh, at the next game. Game 5, which actually happened on April 24th, 2010. Ladies and gentlemen, if you were a diehard Blackhawks fan, you know the <laughs> oh, significance of this game. Just, this is one of the greatest games of Blackhawks history. It absolutely is. Just think about how excited you get in your living room when something good happens on the TV and you slide on your knees and pump your fist. And that's all you need to know about the next game. But that game is set to air on NBC Sports Chicago. I believe we were talking to Johnny about it earlier on Saturday night. What a perfect night. Oh, yeah. What better especially, than...
1: They- especially on a night... You talk about how Saturday nights are bad TV nights. Who? Not in current day America because we're all quarantined. This is a perfect night for this because no one's going out. Everyone's staying home. No one's at work. Mm -hmm. Like, this is perfect. You stay at home, grab yourself. I wouldn't even say to grab a twelve pack for this game. You grab your whole yourself that entire goddamn case of beer, and you sit down and you watch every second of this goddamn game. And I challenge you not to get nervous. You know the outcome of this game, and you're so you're going to be sitting there like in the third period when Hossa takes the penalty, and Ugh. you're. <laughs> Palms are going to be sweating. You're like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, I know what's going to happen here, but I'm so nervous. Like, it, the, when you see the clock ticking down, it's like, uh, or, am I sure? Uh, do, do I remember this correctly? Does Kane score here? Like, you are just, oh, my God. I can't wait. For, I can't fucking wait for it, Ron. Like, this game, this game is just, oh, uh, you talk about some of just the maddening things and the unbelievable things the Hawks did. This game was unbelievable. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's there's really there's two games in that entire playoff. I take that back. There's three games in that entire playoffs that I know when I rewatch them I'm I'm going to feel every single bit of the same emotions I did when I was actually watching them. Obviously when Kane inevitably scores the game winner in game 6 of the Stanley Cup final, when they win game 5 to take that 3-2 lead and this one that's coming up on Saturday, yeah. Game Five, your Western Conference quarterfinals from 2010. It's going to be a good one, ladies and gentlemen. You know the outcome, but just enjoy it. But as you if just you don't. can't. Yeah. Uh. Yes. Just enjoy it as if you don't. Live, like you said. You know, Kaminsky. You put it in perfect words. Live it as if you're watching it live. Live the emotion. Live the nerves. Live the anxiety because. Look, everybody needs something right now to distract yourselves from what's going on. Off, Unfortunately, right now in the world, everybody being in quarantine, you know, social distancing and practicing that. Practice some social distancing. Distance yourself away from everybody except for your couch, your television, and a case of beer and just enjoy. It's going to be a freaking good one. I'm excited. I know you're just – Shaking in your boots over there in excitement, Kaminsky. So, um, you know, it's it's gonna be an absolute fun one. Uh, sir, do you have anything? Oh, I do want to bring up, you know, tying back into to, to present day. Obviously, no hockey, uh, but there was some hockey news. Um, uh, excuse me, Rocky Wertz, uh, Blackhawks owner, pretty much. I shouldn't say pretty much confirmed that uh, Stan Bowman and Jeremy Carlton, the current GM and head coach oh. of the Chicago Blackhawks, will return next season, no matter what. Kamiski, uh, I'm going to turn Ron. this one over to you because you wrote Ron. a great article about it.
1: Ron, we, Ron, we were having fun. We we were having a good podcast. We we, we were talking about the glory days, and uh, why the why I the know. fuck do we need to talk about this? Oh my god! You know, know what? I was feeling good. I was feeling good. <laughs> I'm I'm well on my way to about a 12 pack here, and you just want to you want to bring this up and slap it on me here at the end of this, and we'll act like it wasn't nothing. Well, why do you got to do that to me? I mean, this is just. Oh my god! This is, I I, I just don't get it you know and i appreciate the kind words about the article um and uh, and i'll i'll requote myself through some of this article it was just that you know the rocky words of the 2010s when he took over when uh, when his father passed away um, rocky Wirts was gung ho about change and rocky words was gung ho about doing what he felt was right and he did everything in his power to make sure that the Blackhawks came first, the fans came first, and winning came first. And let me reiterate that last one. Winning always came first for the Blackhawks. They they have one goal, quote unquote, and that one goal is winning the Stanley Cup. Now, they did everything in their power to, to do that. They they signed Marion Hosa. They they drafted Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tase. They did everything. They fired one of the greatest one of the top three players in this franchise's history in Dennis Savard as a as a coach to make sure that they had the right guy in here in Joel Quenville. The, they did not stop making hard but good decisions. Now you fa- fast forward to now, it's the Hawks are in the ultimate hardship, and it's like, well, who's is Rocky Wert should be? He's the guy. He knows how to make tough decisions. He's done it before. And you know, I'm sorry to say, Rocky, I love you. And I think Hawks fans, oh, Rocky Wurtz ten lives worth of debts. You know, he he brought this franchise back from dead. Just honestly, in like the click of a fucking finger, like it was like you woke up one morning and the Hawks were like the worst franchise in sports, and the next day they were. Uh, celebrate when the Stanley cup in downtown Chicago with 2 million Hawks fans, it was like, like you didn't even, you just was like, well, what the fuck happened? How did everyone get these red sweaters on their backs? Um, but you know, that that's not the case anymore. And the Hawks aren't good anymore. And we are in, honestly, like if, if you're the Hawks, you should be panicking a little bit because this thing is going downhill pretty quickly. You know, those, you, if you go to Hawks fans and, Go to Hawks games a lot. I know I do. I'm a, I'm I'm a season ticket holder. Ron, I know you are also a partial season ticket holder. Mm-hmm. We go to a lot of games. I'll tell you what. The Hawks are, they announce the, the sellout streaks, quote unquote, continuing on. And I believe we're at like, what, 350 games or some, some shit are now.
0: Something but I'll tell you what. Could.
1: You go to these games, there's a lot of empty seats. And that's a lot of season ticket holders. Just they don't show up and they couldn't sell their seats, they probably couldn't even give them away. And there's a lot of empty seats out there. So the Hawks are going down a bad path. And you know, they're not winning games. I wrote the article too on where I graded every Stan Bowman ch- transaction. Wasn't pretty. He has had a lot of misses. And we've gotten to this point where, you know, it just he proves time and time again he's not the guy. At this point, this is a what have you done for me lately business and he hasn't done enough. And you would think Rocky works as the guy to instill change. He's the guy to do whatever is necessary to help this team win. And I think we've seen Rocky go a little soft. You know, and I hate to say that cuz I love Rocky and I hate to say anything bad about him. But, you know, we have to be we have to be truthful. And we have to be realistic with this team and you know, he has put all this faith in Stan Bowman and, you know, they they made a clear distinction on which side they were choosing when they fired Joel Quenville in November of, you know, fucking, what was that, two years ago or year and a half ago, 14 months ago, I believe it was. Yep. And in those 14 months since Joel Quenville has been fired, this team hasn't gotten any better. This team hasn't gotten any better at all. And you're quickly learning, well, hey, it wasn't the coach's fault. And I I see people take jabs at Jeremy Colleton all the time. And I'm one of those people as well. But it's not Jeremy Colleton's fault. The talent just ain't there. And that falls on Stan Bowman. And if you ask me, Stan Bowman's had enough time to correct this thing. He's had enough time to make adjustments in the salary cap. He's had enough time for everything. He just ain't getting the job done. And Rocky Words, now They're talking about a goddamn contract extension with this guy, and that was the thing that floored me more than anything. I figured they'd give him another year at it. That's just how I felt, you know. Yeah, we'll give him another year, but then they start talking contract extension. That's that. Now that gets me. Are you out of your fucking mind? Like what? Where? Wh- what's the merit? What are you? You basing that on i I just i don't get it, I really truthfully don't get it, and I hate that we have to end this podcast on this in this
0: direction because we
1: were having so much fun, and now i'm I'm not having fun anymore. How about you
0: no i i'm I'm right there with you, man, and I'm not even going to add anything because I think you summed it up absolutely perfectly. I think the one quick thing I will add. Is it seems like there's a lot of owners in this city that get way too loyal. Um, I'm not going to name names, but there there are a lot of them, unfortunately, in this city, and, and sometimes that can be a problem. I, I hope, just like you do, that Rocky ultimately doesn't slip down that path. Um, but just to bring it all back, again, reminder, you know, Blackhawks win this one 3 to nothing, and make sure you tune back in with us Saturday night um, as we recap Game 5 of the 2010 Western Conference quarterfinals. Before we get out of here for the night, ladies and gentlemen, I do want to remind you to come out and check out all of our great works over at www.ontapsportsnet.com. This is the number one home for all of your literature, podcasting needs, wants, and desires about your favorite Chicago sports teams. Uh, unfortunately, in a world without sports, we don't have a ton going on right now, but we are bringing you Blackhawks and Bulls coverage of these great classics and great recaps, so do be sure to tune into that. We also keep you updated, obviously, as we hear anything uh when it comes to our great sports teams among amidst excuse me the covid nineteen um you know pandemic uh but worth noting, there is football going on there is n f l free agency and what a week it could have been. It, You know, I saw something the other day, and it summed it up perfectly. It said, a world without sports, what are we ever going to do? And the NFL said, hold my beer, because this has been an absolute fantastic week of free agency moves. Uh, It has kept a lot of just diehard sports fans at least somewhat entertained. Uh, We've had a lot of great coverage because of it. Our Bears on Tap crew have done an excellent job. I think they've done three podcasts in three days, as well as I can't tell you how many articles. It's probably, you know. Playing around. No, they are not playing around. Uh, you know, Pat, you're you're a part of that Bears crew and that Bears team. You guys have been crushing it over there. So do be sure to come out and check us, check all of that out over here at Antev Sportsnet. Uh, and we still got some baseball coverage for you. We're doing our absolute best to bring it to you uh, and do something. You know, a look forward to the season. Obviously, we don't know when that's going to be starting, but. You know, Sox and Cubs, we're both still bringing you great coverage over here at the OnTap Sports Network. Uh, among other things, we have great beer reviews uh, and and some other pop culture uh, articles that are, are help driving some content for our loyal fans. Absolutely. Comiskey said it right there. We have it all. Uh, you can find us also on the socials, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at OnTap Sportsnet, and once again, you can find us and the interwebs at www.ontapsportsnet.com. The OnTap Sports Network. Go ahead and check out what's on tap in Chicago sports. Mr. Comiskey, do you have any final thoughts for us before we get out of here after this absolutely beautifully nostalgic episode?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I oh, it was it was honestly nice, Ron. I feel like you know. Most of the time nowadays when we're getting on this mic, we're, we're talking about what the hell's wrong with the Hawks. It was nice to jump on here with you tonight and talk about a Hawks team that was the most dominant team in hockey. So I truly enjoyed that. Um, I feel like you and I, we needed that. We yeah. needed that more than anything. Um, it was great to talk about. It, you know, And it was great to go back and watch this game and feel good about the Hawks again. It was great to see a Duncan Keith who was as fast as lightning, and he just did everything right in the game. It was great to see a John, a dominant Jonathan Taze again. It was great to see a young Patrick Kane who hadn't completely crafted his game to be as good as he is nowadays, but was still absolutely phenomenal back in the day. It was great to see a Patrick Sharp who was on the top of the game. It was just great to see all that. It was it was good to see antimian yet net again. Like that's something that's easy easy to forget about, you know? That's just so long ago. And it was, it's almost hard to believe that this was 10 years ago, but it almost does feel like it was 10 years ago with where the Hawks are at nowadays. Um, but like this team, uh, when we go back and time progresses and we talk about this Hawks little dynasty where they won three cups in six seasons, I feel like we're always somewhat going to go back to that 2010 team just because that team was dominant, that team was young. And that team had the most character of you could probably put them up there with any championship team in any sports. You mentioned Lazarus's book earlier, and I did want to reiterate that. That is a phenomenal book, and every Hawks fan should read that book because there's just so many stories intertwined in that book that you have to read. Uh, One of my big takeaways was just like, You get the feeling when you read that book of how close that team was. Absolutely. That they they were all best friends. Like 1 through 20, they were best friends. And, you know, you read about when they won the cup. They went out for, I believe it was like 16 or 17 straight days in Chicago and partied. They were in bars. They were in clubs. They did everything all together. Mm -hmm. That's what they did. And, you know, you don't see that anymore. You don't see that in the era of social media. You don't see that ever. Like, no one, like, these guys aren't even going out to dinner with each other anymore, nonetheless, going out and drinking. Like, these guys were just, they were best friends. And that is what makes this team truly special. And you miss things like that. And it, it was just nice to jump back on here and talk about something so positive in Blackhawks history with you tonight, Ron. I
0: truly enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, I absolutely enjoyed it. It's been good, bit getting back on the mic with you as well, man. It, it's been a long time since we talked some Blackhawks hockey, but I agree a hundred percent with everything you said. Just it's it's so nice remembering this team. A- and the one kind of thought I want to leave for all the listeners and even for you, Patrick, is that you know, like you said, when we when we talk about you know this dynasty, you know, ten, twenty, thirty years from now, you know, when we're telling our kids and maybe even our grandkids about this team, these teams. I think the reason we're always going to gravitate back to that 2010 team is like you said not only did they have that personality and that character and that that camaraderie that so many so few teams it feels like nowadays are are able to have but it's they they were always kind of that first love. Oh of, yeah. Of Blackhawks hockey. That 2010 team that even that 2009 team the year before which for the most part aside from maybe switching out Marty Havlat with Marion Hossa was predominantly the very very much the same team and so it's just like though that was my first love as a Blackhawks fan you know what I mean and I think back to that like it was my first love in you know in high school or something so I I think I see that 2010 team like that that first girlfriend that you truly loved or or that first thing in your life that you truly loved and uh so I think that's where I'll leave it with my last thought it's just it's fun watching these games again because it reminds me of my first love uh with the Blackhawks and that was that first Stanley Cup team Well, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you so very much for joining us. We know this one was a little lengthy here as we're over the 52-minute mark. uh, But there's a lot of good content in here. We got to get some good Comiskey rants out of it. Uh, You know, (laughs) a couple of different references, a a quick ZZ Top reference in there at some point as well. This is a fun-packed episode. We're so glad you joined us. And, uh, Patrick, let's get out of here the only way that we know how to, man. Let's go Hawks.
1: Yeah, let's go Hawks,
0: baby.